Amen. Well, is God good or what? I mean, wow, yeah, yeah, hello. <laughs> God is just so good. It's been really good. You know, Tyler wrote me a few weeks ago, or maybe it was last, like 10 days ago, and said, hey, you know, three songs, which one, you know? And I remember one was They Could Not, which is just an incredibly powerful song about the resurrection. And the last one was I'll Glory in the Cross. And I wrote back and said, I'll vote for the cross. And he goes, done. And it's just, I'm glad we did. God, God is good in the empty grave, and God is good on an empty cross. And so we certainly celebrate all of that. And I'm excited today. If I'm, I'm going to chatter just for a moment. I'm excited about all the mission stuff going on. It's just incredible. Uh, Kim and Chris, we're so excited for you and what God is doing there. And uh, we look forward to your return back to us after your fundraising journey over in Missouri. And uh, you make them people show you. That's the, that's the show me stage. You tell them, show me that we believe. God. And so come back to us and soon, and we'll look forward to that before we uh, have the privilege of commissioning you to go to Spain. And then tonight, the Nicaragua report, Wednesday night, uh, you know, the, the mission. I'm so glad you're going to the projects. How cool is that? That's just awesome. Next Saturday, um, oh, I hope you've signed up. I hope you'll go. This is going to be incredible. We'll get you down there. We'll take both vans and the bus. We, and we're going to take the bus regardless, but both vans we need to. This is an opportunity to touch the lives of people. It really is. It's, it's an opportunity to go on a mission trip without leaving the state of Illinois. It's almost an opportunity to go on a, a third world country mission trip without leaving the state of Illinois. And so I know how precious Saturdays are, believe me, and so I hope we'll sacrifice this one. What a pleasant aroma, sweet aroma to God when we're willing to sacrifice that. And then, in case you're saying, I just can't do next Saturday, hey, tomorrow morning, we are going to leave here at 7 o'clock. You heard it. And we're going to stop and have breakfast, and then we're going down to Cairo, 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 one of those. You see, Cairo's in Egypt. Cairo is something that doesn't exist. Cairo, Cairo, not Cairo, Cairo. And so we're going down there, and we're going to paint some playground equipment. And here's the deal. Watch this. Watch this. You know, some of you say, I can't paint. You can do this. The poles are about this big around. You got that? There's nothing around them but grass. So you walk up, and you do this. And if you want to be creative, you can do this. That's it. If paint gets on the grass, who cares? This is your chance to be a, a Picasso, to be a Rembrandt, to make a difference. So tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, supposed to be a little bit cooler. We're excited about that. This is Missions Week at Dorsville. Kind of happened unintentionally, Brent, but that's exactly what it is. And we'll come back together next week, and we will celebrate all that God did um, throughout this great week of missions at Dorsville Baptist Church. Well, we are smack dab in the middle of our Crosstalk series, and I've enjoyed teaching it. It's impacted my life, and I hope it's impacted your life. And today we want to talk about two of the smallest words. In fact, these are probably... These are probably two words that if you are looking at the seven sayings of Jesus Christ, if you're a teacher, you might go, what am I going to do with that? Or perhaps you looked ahead and you saw what these two words were and you kind of said, how is the preacher going to spend more than five minutes talking about two simple words? But what powerful words they are. And we'll tell you what they are in just a moment. But I want to begin this morning by, by telling you about something. There's a, how many of y'all remember Art Linkletter, first off? 
Oh, look at the hands. How cool. But, you know, he was just, he was a TV host, you know, and he, he had a show, the Link Letter Show. And I think kind of really what happened was part of that show was, now, I'm going to say a word I don't normally say from the stage, okay? Just get ready. But the name of the show was Kids Say the Darnest Things. Now, see, back down south where I'm from, darn was kind of like a, almost a cuss word. Like you're, you're standing on the edge fixing to fall in. But that was the name of the show, Kids Say the Darnest Things. And what Linkletter would do is he would interview these kids and ask them questions on the stage, unprompted, un, you know, whatever, just ask them questions, and they would give answers. And they were just hilarious. They were just funny. Because, you know, kids say the darndest things. And so, so one was this, you know. So Art Linkletter says to this kid, this kid, he says, so listen, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And this little eight-year-old kid, maybe, yeah, I'd say eight years old. The little kid says, um, I want to be a bus driver or a pilot. And, and Linkletter said, okay, that's great. So, so let me ask you this question. Let's say you grew up to be a pilot. And let's say you're flying one of those four-engine big airplanes. And all four airplanes quit. All four engines quit. What would you say? And without missing the beat, the kid goes, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? <laughs> I, I thought it was just awesome. And, and then he asked another, he asked a little girl. And so the little girl, he says to the little girl, he goes, um, So listen, who's the boss in your family? Your mom or your dad? <laughs> And, and, they, and the little girl said, well, both of them are. And Art Linkletter said, oh, so you're a diplomat, huh? And the little kid goes, no, I'm a Catholic Baptist. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, how crazy. It's just, well, and you know, it doesn't, it's not just kids that say the craziest things. Sometimes husbands do. No, we just do this. We just do this. Man, I'm going to help you out. In case you're ever tempted to say this, let me just tell you, you really don't want to say it, all right? When your wife comes in and she has either a dress she hasn't worn a while or it's a new dress, okay, and she comes into the room, never let these words escape your lips. Have you gained weight? <laughs> that will not go over well. In fact, let me just tell you this, and I don't know, the Bible never sanctions lying, but if your wife ever says to you, do I look fat, claim laryngitis, You've got to throw up, but do not answer that question. Do not answer that question in the affirmative, all right? I'm telling you, it won't go well, okay? So, so people say the craziest things. And one of the things that we say that's kind of crazy is, is, I know exactly how you feel. Have you ever heard that before? You know, someone said something to me today. I can honestly say the thought ran through my head, and I instantly changed it. And the guy will know exactly who I'm talking to when I said this. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Because it's amazing. In crazy situations, we want to say those words, I know exactly how you feel. But the truth is, that's just not true. In fact, if you had, if you had two ladies, and both of them had just delivered babies, okay, the bottom line is, you don't know how each other felt. Now, first off, I need to say this. I've learned finally in my elderly years not to say to pregnant ladies who went into labor, I know how you feel. I made the mistake one day of comparing a kidney stone, having a kidney stone, to having a baby. I don't receive too much hate email 
But I got a lot of cold stares going through the door. And one finally said, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's been, what, six years ago at least. And I've never forgot that. I've learned that. But, you know, you have two ladies who go into labor, okay? And it'd be crazy for them to say, I know exactly how you feel. Why? Because one lady, you know, is like one of those blessed ladies, you know, and she goes into labor, and 25 minutes later, out pops a baby, and oh, 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 and does her nails, you know. And, and the other lady's been laboring for 23 hours. And so if this lady, who just like went an hour, you know, an hour's worth of labor, talks to the lady at 23 and says, I know exactly how you feel. Well, how long was your labor? My labor was an hour. Well, how long was yours? 23 hours. You have no idea how I'm going or how I feel. We don't know. But we hear that all the time from people. Well, like I said, the bottom line is you don't know how I feel. I don't know how you feel. But I want to tell you about someone who does, and that someone is Jesus Christ. And that's what Crosstalk is about today. Jesus knows. Back in the 70s, and I can't believe that's been 40 years ago, but back in the 70s, Dallas Holm wrote a song. He was a contemporary Christian artist. He wrote a song entitled, Jesus Feels Your Pain. The first verse goes like this. The pain some people bear, no one would believe. The hurt that's sometimes there makes it hard to see that in the darkest hour there is still a way. Listen to these simple words I say. Jesus knows your hurt. Jesus feels your pain. Jesus knows just how you feel because he's felt just the same. Jesus knows your need better than you do. Just hold on to Jesus because he's holding on to you. And it's just an incredible thought to know that we have a Savior named Jesus who feels the pain that we feel, who's experienced the trials and temptations and testings that we have. And we find the evidence for this, and of course throughout the New Testament, but in crosstalk, we see it in those two simple words found in John chapter 19. And the two words are this, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Look at John chapter 19 and verse number 28. The Bible says this, after this, after this. We are now six hours into the cross. Jesus has been hanging naked before the world, suffering for six hours. We know the first words he uttered. Where Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. We know the second words that he uttered was today. I look into one of the criminals and said, Today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. The third words he saw was spoken to his mother. When, she, when he said, he said to her, Son, behold, or mother, behold your son. And then to son, to John, son, behold your mother. Last week, we heard those powerful words when Jesus cried out to his father and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we find ourselves now after this, after six hours. You know, Warren Wiersbe says in his commentary, and at first I pushed back from it, but I said, you know what, he's right. Wiersbe said, if hell is isolation and experiencing the wrath of God in torment, then Jesus had gone through six hours of hell. And that's well spoken. After this, the Bible says, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished. Center on those words, when Jesus knew. I think it's amazing, knowing the fact that Jesus was human and God, it's amazing to think that he was still in control of his facilities. 
You understand he's been up over 24 hours. He's been scourged. He's been beaten. His beard's been plucked. They planted a crown of thorns. Blood loss has been huge. And then, and then the ordeal of this, the cross, the, the nails being driven through wrist and feet and being hoisted up and not being able to breathe, basically suffocating to death for six long hours. And yet Jesus still knew. Total command of his facilities. Which causes me to pause and say this. We have got to stop sissifying Jesus. We have got, you know, so many men push back from the Christian faith. And frankly, we sissified church too. And, and they push back from church because church is for whims, church is for weak people. Take a real look at Jesus Christ. First off, he was a carpenter by trade. He was not this skinny, pale-looking, long-locked, sissified man. He was a man's man. And men, we need to proclaim that message that if you want an example of a real man, look at Jesus Christ. And church is not for weak sissies. Church is a place to come worship the God of creation. The God of creation. Men, God has called us to lead, and we need to lead our families and lead our friends to come worship a God who created it all. A man named Jesus who could hang on a Roman cross for six long hours, drained of blood, drained of life, and still be in total control of the situation. How amazing is that? When After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said... I'm thirsty. Of all the things that could be recorded, of all the things that Jesus could have said, why is this so significant? Because it points directly to His humanity. Now, there are two things about God that will probably drive you nuts. You know, someone once said this. If you try to understand the, human the Trinity of God, you will lose your mind. But if you deny the Trinity of God, you'll lose your soul. If you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. If you deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. I had a gentleman in my office on Monday, and I was trying. I said, look, dude, there's some things that I can't explain to you about God. I simply believe by faith. How do you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit? You have three separate, yet three in one. I said, it's not like I steam in water. It's not like an orange peel, the white part, and, and the core. There's no way we can put our arms around the Trinity. But there is a way that God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three separate, yet three in one. Well, likewise, how do you explain a man who is 100% human and 100% God? 100% human and yet 100% God. And yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. Not was, is. 100% God 100% man. And in his humanity, and by the way, we, we talked this, I think, Sunday night. We talked about the fact that, that at no point, at no point, at no point did Jesus ever stop being God. On the cross, in the grave, wherever he was, he never stopped being God. He willingly laid aside the, some of the attributes of God. The, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have wished every Roman soldier dead. He could have done all these things. He laid, laid, aside, laid aside some of his attributes as God, but he never stopped being God. And so we have him here, and he cries out in his humanity, I'm 
thirsty. There's a really great scripture, and in fact, there's a lot of them in the book of Psalms that looks forward to the cross. And in Psalms twenty-two fourteen, listen to what the psalmist says, and you can just see him looking forward to the crucifixion. The psalmist writes hundreds of years before the death of Jesus. He says, I am poured out like water. I am poured out like water. The psalmist is saying he's been emptied out. Paul would later write the words in 2 Timothy 4, 6, for I am being poured out like a drink offering. Jesus chose on the cross to empty himself. He was, here, here, here. He was all in. He wasn't. Aren't you glad he didn't go partially? You know, aren't you glad he didn't say, well, I'll be scourged, but that's the end. I'll carry the cross, but that's the end. Aren't you glad he went all the way and cried out at the end, it is finished. He went all the way. He was all in. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. We have to assume and know that from hanging like this and pulling up to breathe, there's a very strong possibility that his shoulders came out of joint. All my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. You can only imagine if you've done any kind of exercise, been any kind of stress, heavy stress, your heart, you've been frightened perhaps, perhaps you woke up from a nightmare and your heart's just hammering like a jackhammer. That's the heart of Jesus. In fact, some theologians will tell you that they believe that, that Jesus died from an exploded heart. That literally, his heart exploded. Physically, he's at his max. Emotionally, he's at his max. Spiritually, he's at his max. Melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. And you know, how much moisture is in a brick? None. They bake it out. They bake it out. And Jesus said, all my strength is gone. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. He's at maximum dehydration, both from not drinking and from blood loss. And then, finally, he says, you put me into the dust of death. He stands on the edge of death. Death, at this point, is moments, minutes away. He's going to breathe his last. And all that was written, it could have been written that day, but it was written hundreds of years before, looking forward to the day Jesus Christ would hang on the cross. How amazing is that? And then verse 29, back in John 19, a jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. Don't read too much compassion into that. The Roman soldiers were just adding to the fun, letting him have a drink of bitter wine before he died. I thirst. Embrace the humanity of the Christ on the cross. Now, I told you from the get-go today that Jesus knows how you feel. And I wasn't paying attention, and I want you to look on your sermon sheets there, and you'll see the second set of scriptures is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And I'd like to go there first before we go on any further. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, I entitled that, titled that, Tempted and Tried. 
Kind of reminds me of, of uh, tempted and tried, we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. When the old gospel songs. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says about Jesus Christ, our high priest. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, he says, We don't have a high priest who is clueless about us. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Now listen, for this to make any sense today, you have got to get Jesus out of history. You've got to get him out of history on some page you read a long time ago. You've got to get away from the 2,000-year-old Jesus to the current Jesus. For this to make sense, for him to be anything to you, you've got to get him out of history and into your life and into your heart. To your life, your heart. We don't have a high priest who's clueless about our lives. It was said that, that Marie Antoinette, back in the French Revolution, the peasants were starving to death, and they were rioting for bread. And she supposedly said, Bread? They have no bread? Let them eat cake then. Totally clueless. Have you noticed how Washington is filled with clueless politicians? It's like they get elected to some office, they get up there, and they totally forget the people that they were called to serve. I'm not trying to be political. It's a fact. It's a fact. And I'm just glad that we have a high, proof, high priest who does identify with us. Not one, not one, who we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are. In other words, he's gone through the temptations and trials and experiences that we have gone through. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18, the author of Hebrews says this, Since he, Jesus, since he was tested and has suffered, he is able to help those who are tested. Since he endured trial and testing, then he can help those who are going through trial and testing. He's been tested and tempted like we are, yet, yet without sin. Victory every time. I wish I planned, and we don't have time, I had planned to go to Luke chapter 4, and I think it's Matthew chapter 4 also. Just go back and look over again the temptation of Jesus. And I know it's bigger than, than just that one instance, but you have a Savior who can identify with what you're going through because He went through those pains and those sufferings that you're going through. The same pain you went through, he identifies with that. So how do, we, how do we embrace ourselves? How does that help us in today's world? Okay, okay, you're saying that Jesus is not the kind of Savior that doesn't identify with us. Yay, I'm glad for that, Dwayne. I appreciate that. That's good, okay? And in fact, we have one that was tempted like we are, and yet he was victorious. But Dwayne, once again, I know, I know, I know. You said he was 100% human, but for goodness sake, he was God. Of course he was victorious. How does that help me? Because, again, he was 100% God and 100% human. The nails, hands and feet, the bloodied back, the abandonment by God, all those things he felt in human terms. He knows your pain. He knows your suffering. When you feel isolated, when you feel forgotten, when you feel all those things, Jesus felt them too. So what do you do with that? Look at verse 16. It's so powerful. 
Therefore, the author says in Hebrews, therefore, let us approach. Pause. Let us approach. That's a worship word. When we approach God, I don't know if you know it or not, you might say, Dwayne, what do we do when we come in this place? Why do we come? You don't understand. You need to understand this. This is really important. We are approaching God when we come in here. Whether it's under the steeple, whether it's here, or whether it's in our quiet place, when we, come be seek, when we seek God and come before God, we are approaching God. Approaching God is a term of worship. So we approach God. We come to Him and worship. And look, we approach the throne of grace. Let me just, I like what I'm fixing to say. The throne of grace is a place of favor. You remember, now some of you don't remember, and I, I, don't want, I can't take time to tell the whole story, but do you all remember the story of Esther? Even though she was in favor with the king, she was the queen of Israel, and, and even though she was in favor with the, with the king, the bottom line is if, if the queen walked in uninvited, she could die. She could die. So her people were going to be killed. Mordecai, her uncle, came and said, Look, you've got to go to the king and beg for the lives of the people. And so she boldly said, If I die, I die. And she goes into the king uninvited. If he holds his sepulcher out, he's in favor. If he does not, she dies. And, of course, we know the story. He holds the sepulcher out and says, What can I do for you, Esther? I need to tell you something. Every time, every time, as a child of God, as a child of God, every time... Listen now, don't wander away. Every time you approach the throne of grace, you approach knowing you have God's favor. The sepulcher... The sepulcher is always out for you. He is inviting you into His presence. Not because you're good, not because you deserve it, but by the blood of Jesus Christ and God's amazing grace, you are His child. He says, come on in. Come on in. Come on in. So, so we approach and worship this place of favor, and then we come how? With boldness. We come with confidence. We don't have to wonder if. God will accept us. We have to wonder if God will embrace us. He will. He will. Because of the work of the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ, His amazing grace, and His wonderful mercy. He, we approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy, kindness, and find grace, strength, to help at the proper time. How do you embrace this wonderful priest, how do you embrace the power of Jesus' humanness and bring it home into your life? It begins with worship. It means believing that there's a, there's a place of favor as a child of God. It means approaching it with confidence, believing, believing what God says about you. Oh, oh, oh. got to pause, got to pause. See, the problem with us is we believe too much what we say about ourselves and what others say about ourselves instead of what God says about us. We don't believe in us. We say, people don't believe in us. Your husband don't believe in you. Your wife doesn't believe in you. Your parents don't believe in you. We say that all the time. we got to quit listening to what we say and what people say and start listening to what God says. And, and God's report is always favorable. And God's report is always favorable. Ah, 
How amazingly powerful is that? So, so we have this opportunity, this wonderful opportunity, and we'll find grace and we'll find help. I'm so glad for that. Now, how does that play out? Now, we obviously don't have time to go all the places that we'd like to go, but I found it very easy to look at several things where, where Jesus went through certain circumstances that we go through and we can learn from him. And the process, again, I don't have a lot of time, but I can share with you some of the wonderful stories of God's word that you may know, but hopefully from a different angle today. The first one is this. Now, I even put a little pointy things out. Um, the first one is garbled and grieved. Garble and garbled and grieved. Now, the word garbled there, I intend to mean misunderstood. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Hey, kids, have you ever felt misunderstood by your parents? Ever, have you felt like a teacher didn't understand? I mean, you know, we are very creative in excuses for not doing our homework or studying. I know this, because I, you know, some things don't change, and that hasn't changed, okay? But you really, I mean, it's real. The dog really did eat your homework. The, your parents really did something that let, kept you from studying. It's really true this time, and you don't get a favorable response. You know, the teacher says, no, nah, I'm not buying that again. I'm not buying that again. Misunderstood. <laughs> One time I was in, this is a true story. I was in the hospital. I don't remember the person's name, and I don't remember if it's one of those times when people said, would you go by and see, or if it was a Dorisville person. I really don't remember. But I walk into the room, and the person was elderly and very sick, no doubt. And so they're in the bed, and I'm over here, and, and I take them by the hand. You know, I'm doing, I mean, my heart's sincere, and I'm just like, you know, loving on them, and, you know. And, and the person says in a very weak voice and says, Pastor, I just want to go home. And I said, I know, honey. And I said, when God's ready, he'll take you. And she looked at me and said, not that home, pastor. <laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying, I'm telling you. <laughs> Misunderstood. Misunderstood. So sometimes things get garbled up, and certainly sometimes we experience grief. Now listen, listen, here's the story real quick. Three good friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Lazarus is very sick. Eventually, Lazarus dies. Jesus appears to show up four days late. He, John, or Lazarus is dead by the time Jesus gets there. He runs into Martha. And if you know anything about Martha, she's very pragmatic. She's very practical in her approach. Jesus had a great theological discussion with her, you know, and says, yes, Lord, I believe. And, and on he goes. And then he comes to Mary. And if you know anything about Mary, Mary, there are three times that Mary's mentioned in the Bible. This Mary's mentioned. All three times she's at the feet of Jesus. And this is the only time that words are recorded. She's emotional, okay, and soft-hearted. And here's what it looks like. In John um, eleven thirty-two, when Mary, meek and mild Mary, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, no matter how we try to soften that, I mean, the, the words are powerful. It's, 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 it is a word of faith. If you had been here, she fully believed, she fully believed that if this man, Jesus Christ, who she knew well, if this man, Jesus Christ, had been present when her brother was sick, he would not have died. So in that sense, it's a statement of faith. But the problem is this. He wasn't there. 
he wasn't there. Lord, if you'd been there, he would not have died. But where were you, Jesus? When we needed you the most, have you ever had this conversation with God? Where were you, God? When I needed you the most, where were you? Um, um, Jesus, how could you not show up? Where were you? How could you? Misunderstood. Because Jesus already told his disciples earlier, before he got to where Lazarus had died, that this is for God's glory, and you're good. Mary didn't get that and didn't understand it and really didn't want to know that. Practical Martha did. She got the story. But Mary's heart was broken. How could you? Where could you? Misunderstood. Well, it says this. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when, Now, don't miss this. Don't, don't cruise past this. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who come with her crying. Don't miss that. When Jesus saw her crying. Do you understand? I, I don't think, I try not to stretch outside Scripture. I'm trying to be good about that. But I think Jesus has his eye on us. I don't think you're, I don't know about your mother or your grandmother in heaven. Don't know about that. But I think our great high priest has his eye on us. Okay, good. Well, at least I got some... Yeah, okay, good. He saw Mary crying. I guess I'm trying to say if he saw Mary crying, I don't think I'm outside of Scripture saying he sees you crying. He saw her broken heart, and I think he sees our broken hearts. I don't think I'm outside of Scripture to say that. And these words, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying... Those words are, are a loud weeping, a lamentation. Right, let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard, Bill, have you ever heard someone actually sob? I mean, just brokenness, just gasping for air, sobbing. You know, I've seen several men do this. In fact, you know what? You know what flashed back my brain? You remember the situation with our worship leader, Russ Noss? And I remember we were having prayer about that on a Wednesday night. And I was kneeling at the front row in that under the steeple. And my heart exploded. And sounds, I remember, sounds came out of this body. This, this shrieking, sobbing noise came out of me. It was all the emotion of the past week just came flooding out. Ever experienced anything like that? Well, that's what, this is not Mary. Well, Jesus, if you'd been here. She's broken heart and explodes out of this, this sobbing, laminate, crying. And Jesus sees this. And, and he goes on and says this. Then uh, he, he, when he saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Angry in his spirit. What's he angry at? Angry at sin. Angry at death. Angry at Satan for holding fear of death over the people. And he was deeply moved. You have a Savior who is deeply moved when you hurt. Let me try that again. I don't think, I, thought, I want you to get this. 
You have a Savior. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you're serving. Well, Wayne, that's just not how I feel. Get over your feelings and believe the Word of God. You have a Savior who hurts when you hurt. He's deeply moved. He's deeply moved. And look what he says. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. And there it is, the shortest verse English verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. Now, I want you to get this. He wept. He cried. Not because Lazarus has died, because he's fixing to fix that. He is crying because people he loved were hurting. And it's powerful to know that that's our Savior. That's our high priest. He hasn't changed. Jesus is not in the changing business. My grandson told me yesterday, he spilled some water in the living room. I said, you've got to clean that up. Well, he didn't, so I did. I said, you've got to take the cup to the kitchen. So I got from the table and put it in his hand. You know that turkey did? He, he walked halfway in the dining room, turned around, looked at me, walked right back into the living room and put that cup down and smiled at me. <laughs> Jesus said, what'd you do? I said, I picked up the cup and carried it to the kitchen. <laughs> but then he said these words. You can't be my friend anymore. Oh, he got over fast. Don't worry. It had a good ending. But we hear that in us. Jesus will never not be your friend. Someone say amen. Jesus will never not be your friend. How about that? Jesus wept. Well, we've got time for one more. Over in Mark 4, 35, and this is on your sermon sheet. Mark 4, 35 through 38. I call this one fatigue and fretters. Fatigue and fretters. Now, let me make a little clarification. Don't confuse fretters with fritters. Now, fritters are an amazing thing. Fritters are balls of dough that you can put apple, blueberry, well, that's my two favorites, peach, in this dough, and you ball them up, and you put them in hot grease. And they cook up, and they become this incredible thing. It's like I'm searching for words. They're awesome. And then if you really want to be like good, then you roll them in white sugar, you know, the powdered sugar, and then you eat them, and they're incredible. Fretters, on the other hand, get all balled up when things get hot, and they don't taste so good. Fretters are worry warts. When things get hot, they start worrying. Fritters, when things get hot, they get to tasting good. So don't confuse the two. Now, here's the crazy part. I married these two thoughts together. Fatigue and fretters is because the mother of fretters is fatigue. When we get tired, we're more apt to worry. You've got to agree with me. We get, we get exhausted. We get tired. When we get exhausted and we get tired, all of a sudden the smallest things become huge. They become mountains. And guess what? It was true back in that day. It's true in this day. 
Look what the story said. Another wonderful story. The Bible says, starting in verse number 35, on that day, and by the way, I checked it out, make sure I knew what I was talking about. On that day, it was just a typical day for Jesus. He had taught some very intense Bible lessons. It was just an everyday long day. And let me tell you why that's important. Because all of us have long days. Lex, do you have long days? Yeah. If you're a mama, you got long days. If you work, you got long days. If you're a teacher, you got long days. If you're a student, you got long days. I don't know anybody who don't have long days. Our days are long. Well, it's a typical long day. The era we live in leads to long days. So on that day, that long day, when the evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. I love this. That is a promise. He told these guys in this boat, we're going to the other side of the sea. Now here, here. If you're a fretter, if you get worried often, you need to remember this. Because fretters let their emotions control them instead of the promises of God control them. That was pretty profound. Let me say that again. Fretters let their emotions and circumstances control them instead of let the promises of God control them. We're going to the other side. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said that? It's kind of deep. We're going to the other side. That's what he meant. We're going to the other side. All right, okay. All right. So, they left the crowd and took him along since he's already in the boat. I thought that was nice of him that they took him along. So they left the crowd and took him along well, since he was already in the boat. And other boats were with him. Now, I never saw this before. This is, such a, this is only in Mark. It's only in Mark. That we won't get to it today, but what happens? You remember what happens? Jesus speaks words, peace be still. And what happens? Wind stops, way stop. Not only did the boys in the boat experience that, all the little boats around them experienced that. They experienced the extension of grace that God administered, that Jesus administered to his boat, but they also experienced it. So other boats were then with them. A fierce windstorm arose, and the waves, now listen, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Now, I know all about boats. Let me tell you about boats. What I know about boats is this. You don't want what's on the outside to get on the inside. Isn't that just profound? It's just profound. You don't want what's on the outside to get on the inside. Now watch this. As a child of God, you don't want what's on the outside to get on the inside. Because when what's on the outside gets on the inside, you become a fretter and life isn't good anymore. You let the peace of God reign in your heart and keep the circumstances out of your heart. Come on now. Come on. You don't want what's on the outside to get on the inside. Well, what was on the outside was all of a sudden coming on the inside and the boat was about to sink. It was being swamped. But he was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. Now, I love this. What was he doing sleeping? He was human. And he was tired. So when you get up tomorrow morning, and you're exhausted, and you say, God, I'm so tired. Jesus would go, I know what you're talking about. Because he was human. And he knew what busy schedules would do to people because he experienced it. 
But only this. Another reason he was asleep was he had the peace of God. He wasn't worried about the storm because the Father had dictated that he was going to die on a Roman cross and not in a windstorm. And Jesus had promised those in the boat with him were going to the other side. So no matter what Satan conjured up and how bad he huffed and puffed and tried to blow the walls down, the boys were going to the other side because Jesus said, we're going to the other side, and Jesus was in the boat with them, and he was saved because he had a destiny on a Roman cross. So in your life, you need to know this. We didn't know how this story was going to end up in Central Asia. We didn't know if this young couple was going to be killed by the family. We didn't know that. We still don't know what's going to happen. But you know this? God does. And God's sovereign. And God can be trusted. God's good. God can be trusted. Say it with me. God is good. God can be trusted. Say it with me again. God is good. And God can be trusted. Take that to... That's not, that's not a little frilly preacher talk. That's biblical truth. God is good. God can be trusted. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's wise. He knows. So we're going... To the other side. So, so the fretters, okay, we have fatigue. We have the fretters. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? That's what fretters do. Don't you care we're going to die? See, they totally forgot the promise. We're going to the other side. And when we become worry wards and we take our eyes off Jesus and forget the promises of God, we become worry wards, we forget the promises. Then circumstances start dictating our life and not our God. Do you care? First off, if, if I'd been Jesus that day, I'd have said, Of course I care! I'm trying to sleep here. Jesus cares. Say it with me. Jesus cares. He does. He knows how you feel. He knows the pain you're going through. And Jesus cares. Well, later on, of course, he speaks. And the wind and the waves calm down. The other boats get in on the deal. And we hope the disciples learned a great lesson. But the question really today is, are we going to learn that great lesson? That we have a high priest who knows and feels the pain that we go through because he experienced it also. Let me read to you the last verse of Dallas Holmes' song, and that'll be our closing. Sometimes you feel alone. Does he really care? Has he left you all alone, and does he hear your prayer? Well, he has never left you or forsaken you one day. So listen to the simple words I say. Jesus knows your hurt. Jesus feels your pain. Jesus knows just how you feel because he felt just the same. Jesus knows your need better than you do. Just hold on to Jesus because he's holding on to you. When Jesus said, I thirst, he was declaring his humanity as our high priest saying, I know your pain. I know your hurt. And I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. Would you bow your heads right there, please? If you're here today and, and this is kind of new to you, this concept of a, a guy who died and yet is alive today, 2,000 years later, and that's kind of, huh? You know, 
Jesus is the most incredible thing, incredible man there ever will be. 100% God, 100% man. It's incredible. And he did die for our sins that day. It was orchestrated by God. It was planned by God from the get-go. And the cool part is, he died for our sins. He died for your sins. And if you're willing to ask Jesus Christ to turn and turn from your sins and ask him to come to your life, to be your new master, your boss, your Lord, your Savior, and follow him, he will forgive your sins. And you gain this best friend who promises never leave you nor forsake you and who will feel your pain Feel your hurt and be there for you. If you've done that, you need to believe that. If you've done that, you need to believe that today. It's awful hard. I can't just be. It's one of those times I just need to be real clear and transparent with you. I do pretty good when my days are going well, but when things go south, I, I have a tendency to not believe quite as well. And he's calling us, Dwayne, believe me. Trust me. But not just to me, to every one of us. Believe me, trust me. We have our time of invitation this morning, time of decision. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front. This is an opportunity for you to come and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus. This is a side of God I did not know. I want to know more about this Jesus. Perhaps as, as a Christ follower, you just want to come to the altar and pray and say, Jesus, thank you for being that, being that kind of a high priest. Maybe you're going through something difficult right now. You need someone to pray with you. Maybe you've talked about and thought about joining our fellowship. This is an opportunity we can show you, tell you how to do that. Perhaps you follow Jesus, but you've never followed through in believers' baptism. You've been obedient in baptism. We can help you with that today. This is the time for decisions. This is the time for you to respond to what God has spoken to your heart about. Let me pray. Father, thank you again so very much for the privilege of sharing your word. Jesus, thank you for being transparent on the cross and uttering those two words, I'm thirsty. Thank you in a marvelous way that we can't quite understand that you are 100% God. You never stop being that. And yet you're 100% man. Thank you that you identify and hurt for the things that we feel. Lord, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to speak to hearts today. I pray that you'll draw people, men and women, children, to Jesus for the purpose of salvation, for redemption, for forgiveness, for rescue. And then for other decisions that need to be made, oh, that will turn to you and that will trust you. Love you, Jesus. And we thank you for this opportunity to share. And we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen.